This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by Gates Wildlife Control and the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of August 25th, 2014, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 145 of Defender Radio. Though the ragweed plants of southern Ontario are conspiring against me, I'm still very pleased to bring you this week's episode, featuring a good friend of mine and APFA. You may know Dr. Heidi Perryman as the Beaver Believer from Martinez, California, or the Defender who hosts the MartinezBeavers.org Worth a Damn website and podcast series. But between her evenings of working with municipalities, landowners, and the general public on beaver protection, she's a successful clinical psychologist. As animal advocates, we often feel frustrated, despondent, and outright angry at the world around us, and that's a healthy, normal response. But sometimes, those feelings can overwhelm us and influence our ability to help wildlife as well as being happy, healthy individuals. Dr. Perryman joined Defender Radio for a unique conversation on these emotions, what they mean to us, and how we can manage them in our day-to-day lives as advocates. Advocates, uh, in particular, uh, in our business of animal advocacy, uh, we're typically very compassionate and passionate people. And a lot of what we see can be pretty horrific, um, particularly on the trapping issue, hunting issues, things like that. And I think that the best place to start is with the concept of, uh, or the question as to why, when we see this stuff, there seems to be such uh, a surge of anger from people. Um, either side of the debate, people who are for it or against it, there is just this anger that comes out. What, what does that stem from? Well, I, um, I think people feel angry that, uh, that something is wrong and they feel righteously wanting to protect it. And uh, people who are on the pro side of the, you know, no trapping debate are um, angry that the animal has been injured and angry that sort of our humanity has been injured in a sense. And I think people on the other side of that of that debate, the you know, trapping is necessary or you're too upset about this for no reason. I think they're angry because we're pointing out the um, the uncomfortable truth that they're living with all the time. And so basically they don't want to be, um, have their attention reminded of this and they're angry at people for pointing it out. So um, I think anger is along with compassion, a really fueling energy engine, basically, for getting involved with um, animal advocacy. And and I think it drives a lot of advocates. Um, And in fact, it's the only thing that drives us and sustains us. But I also think there are really important parts of anger and compassion that, that we need to learn about in order to do this work for the long haul. Well, let's talk about that because uh, anger is a natural emotion and I have been told through many, many expensive therapy sessions over the years <laughs> that anger is a good emotion. It's it's important to us. It's part of who we are. It's part of our DNA. But there, yeah. there, there is a line 
of right. I mean, and and I don't I don't consider it so much a line, so much as there's a certain portion of your anger that is useful in accomplishing things, and there's a certain portion of your anger that will present prevent you from accomplishing things. And so whether or not it's still justified, it may not be useful. And I think what happens for people who aren't able to apply brakes to the process of their anger, to that engine that fuels their response, they aren't able to put on those brakes is that they, um, they alienate supporters, potential supporters, they prevent themselves from making allies, and they really burn out. I mean, I think that not being able to stop yourself from having compassion can make you burn out and not able to do this work for the long haul. And it really is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Well, and then how do we identify then? And that's, I think, maybe the ultimate question is most people will recognize that anger can take control of you rather than you taking control of anger. So how do we recognize if we're at the point where the anger is becoming too much, where the compassion is overwhelming? Yeah, well, I I mean, I think that is a that is a daily challenge, to be honest, and and it's not a simple answer. My time, you know, I got involved in this really by accident when I was on the Beaver subcommittee, and my time on that subcommittee was actually the most complicated job of my entire adult life, which is I had to decide every moment of every meeting whether or not to make friends or to make a fuss. And um, and the way I decided, I knew would determine the fate of our beavers. And so I, it was really sort of a life or death experience, not my life or death, but it was really important to me. And um, I have tremendous respect for people who make that decision every day. It is not an easy decision and it requires tremendous self-examination and commitment so moving forward with that thoughts this is something that i'll get in debates with people over um is when to be angry and when to be quiet Uh and i i often refer myself to the old adage of um it's better to stay quiet and let people think you a fool than open your mouth and prove (laughs) it um which a paraphrase but uh, of that ilk uh, and my time in a newspaper I had to know you know how much time can I put into dealing with this letter to the editor or this complaint right. um, and that's uh, a lot of people feel that you have to be full-on all the time and constantly respond to debates and constantly be standing in defense of what you believe right. but is there a time where you need to be able to take a breath and perhaps not compromise, but recognize we have to take this one step at a time. Right, absolutely. And that you're thinking of always in your mind of your ultimate goal, like what's the place you want to get to, and then look at all the stops along the way. And most of us are not going to ever see the finish line, but we all have an essential role to play in getting there. And so really um, being able to tolerate compromises that aren't what you want but will get you closer to that ultimate goal, I think is a tremendous 
a tremendous step and it's very hard for us to do. I mean, I was very frustrated. I really wanted, you know, the beavers protected and the whole situation wrapped up. I wanted the town to be, you know, I wanted a billboard in town protecting them. I really wanted uh, what I wanted and, um, and that was never going to be possible. And so what I needed to be able to do is to focus on those key players who I knew could be switched. Um, I, I could just see it that if I had enough information to them, they would, they would turn. And I just needed to find out how to get information to them. Uh, the right information, not too passionate, not too inflamed. It was, it was really challenging. It took every single bit of skill as a psychologist or as a beaver advocate that I had. And, um, and I, I think that's why this work is really interesting and also why it is a lifelong journey. I mean, you know, I've, I've seen that quote many times from Brock Evans, endless pressure, endlessly applied. And I think it's absolutely true. But I remember a scene from the Ken Burns documentary about John Muir finally getting uh, Roosevelt up into Yosemite. And actually, he has succeeded in getting Yosemite to be a national park, and he had succeeded in so many things. He had achieved everything he wanted. And he got Roosevelt to sneak away with him and camp in the, in the redwood trees, which is amazing. You get a president to go camping with you. He had gotten all of his goals, and he sat in the tent with him or laying under the stars, and he said, you know, you really should give up hunting. That was what John Muir said, which is amazing. He never stopped pushing. Absolutely. And I don't think we ever stop pushing, but we also get more artful about how we push and more playful about how we push and not as angry because it just becomes more effective. And that's uh, that leads in nicely to the next part I want to talk about. And this is the to me, the troubling one, uh, part of my role is to monitor our social media and to engage with the media and things like that. And when we'll post a story, uh, we'll get a lot of people. And I'll, I'll use an example of uh, one I, I posted in the, uh, the, the first week of August was uh, a poorly written headline about a bear attack. Yeah. Um, and it was a bear or man survives attack from black bear and the, the deck, which is below the headline, was describing his injuries. And it's not until the third paragraph where it's revealed that he was a hunter who had just shot the bear. And, and, and the bear was saying, I don't like that, and swatted at him. So I, I wrote this, and again, this was a bit of my shtick as a journalist, was you have to always be accurate. Yeah. And that was the point of this, was, you know, we've got to be on the lookout. We've got to be prepared to respond. And we ended up getting around 20 comments out of all of them that were extremely and and I almost want to say hateful mm -hmm. they were full of aggression about hunters and about how the hunter deserves what he gets yeah and in the blog I I made a very important note that you know it is unfortunate that this man was injured I never wish harm upon any living being yeah. uh, regardless of who they are or what they've done but we still had these people just bidding about this hunter and the fact that he was hunting and it to me feels like 
what we're now calling online bullying. Yeah. Um, that kind of behavior. How how would you describe that in professional terms? That kind of a response. Well, I I'm I think that I mean I'm not sure how I would describe it in professional terms, and I don't have a a a a glib response to that, but I do have kind of a thought that you know there are what I would call kind of. Uh, resting injuries in people that, um, that, that, that things provoke, things trigger, right? And the story of a hunter or the story of that can certainly, um, trigger a response. And certainly even, uh, animal protection people can trigger hunters. You see them all the time. And I'm not using a pun when I say the word trigger. I'm talking <laughs> about you really provoke more response than you, than you intend. And, um, what I what I think is that uh, I think it's problematic because it makes us um, unhearable, and it becomes a, a something that um, can just be objected to and not considered. So I I mean I just feel like what we do when we exercise that really hateful speech and I I really am not guilty of it I mean I often on the website will say some snark that burns off a little steam but um, but I, I realize that what you're doing is you're kind of uh, patching a hole in the boat by using um, material from the other part of the boat you're actually creating a leak by um, by making a leak and and the reason I say that is because you're actually depleting um, the resources of public opinion uh, at the same time that you're um, you're trying to engender them and I, I really think it's important for us to remember that our um, the way the public views us is the most powerful weapon we have it really is and um, and that's the place that helps us move forward. And everything we do that compromises that public opinion, even if it's right, it is, um, it's, it's hurting our cause. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. You're listening to Defender Radio. I am Brad Gates, owner of Gates Wildlife Control. Do you have raccoons or squirrels living in your attic? Did you know that the hole in your roof is letting water in, your insulation is being ruined, and they could be chewing on your electrical wiring? Protect your biggest investment. We will come to your house and provide you with a no-obligation free estimate. Please visit our website at gateswildlifecontrol.com or dial 416-750-9453. Have you ever heard a coyote sing? Did you know that coyotes are also called North America song dogs? They communicate through unique howls, yips, and barks. At Coyote Watch Canada, we're committed to fostering peaceful coexistence for communities and their wildlife neighbors by building compassionate wildlife communities one community at a time. Please visit us at coyotewatchcanada.com for more information and tips about this amazing keystone species. Millions of animals are killed for their fur each year in Canada. You can help stop the cruelty. 
Join the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals today and be the voice for those who can't speak for themselves. Find out more at furbearerdefenders.com. This is Defender Radio. We're back with more from Dr. Heidi Perryman, a beaver believer by night and clinical psychologist by day, to talk more about the emotional lives of advocates. Let's move on to what I'd call sort of the second part of this discussion is we've identified what some of the problems are, where this anger is coming from and what's causing it. The next question has to be, what do we do about it? Um, <laughs> I mean, every, I know everybody's got different ideas and different concepts. Um, yeah. So what what is your suggestion? And maybe not specifically to advocates, but what would you say to your clients who come in and talk about anger issues? Yeah. Um, how do we how do we move on? I mean, we get angry about something and we can't make the anger just go away. So right. what is what first what is a healthy way to deal with it? And then big picture, how do we live with uh ourselves when we're involved in things that constantly give us this anger? Right. Well, I, I think um, support is really important. So having allies that um, that know what you're feeling and feel it too is uh, people that you can use a kind of shorthand with to kind of um, talk about uh, how this is feeling to you. It made a huge difference to me after the uh, the subcommittee meeting was done to actually start the website. And the reason that made a difference to me is because I was reading about the same problem happening in every town, in every city in in California or in the United States or in Canada. I was surprised to see that the struggle was the same everywhere. And that actually really helped me kind of step back from the personal involvement that I had and um, kind of view it as more of a long goal instead of a short accomplishment. And that um, that made a huge difference. So I think whatever you can do to give yourself some distance and give yourself some support and to make permission for you to be angry, but also permission for you to say, okay, I'm going to the beach today or I'm, I'm not going to work on this today. Because really what you're doing is you're preserving the valuable resource of you. Um, it is not renewable in the sense of the fact that if you use it up, you will use it up. And your job is to um, be able to do this work tomorrow. And that's of interest to me um, because talking about the long-term goals, uh, for instance, with, with the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals, we have uh, been around since the 1930s, and uh -huh. it's only been in the last 40 or 50 years that the goal went from finding humane traps to ending trapping. And I know for every one success story I'm able to to write for us or broadcast for us, animals are dying still. Right. And that, I know, triggers a lot of people that even though they may have this one success, there are all of these failures. Yeah. Um, and for me, I'm fortunate. We, we had this recent incident in Whitehorse that you're aware of. Um, and it seemed we were really getting public support and the mm -hmm. media was on our side. And it turned out that we were a day late and that the yeah. Beaver family we wanted to protect had been killed. And, yeah. I, and I am fortunate that I have someone in my life 
uh, that I'm able to talk to who said, um, there's still hope. Mm-hmm. And every every time I come up against this wall, she's there to tell me that and remind mm-hmm. me of that. Um, and uh, she's actually in your field, so it's kind of a double bonus. But <laughs> um, for for everybody out there, when we come to that realization, and everybody does come to that realization eventually, that even as we work for this long-term goal, there are a lot of short-term losses. Yeah. What What is a good way to reconcile that within ourselves? Well, um, I, I think it really has to do with how you talk to yourself about uh, the work that you do. I think if you um, really conceptualize the work that you do is to save every animal or to save every beaver, um, you, you will always be disappointed. I think the goal is to, the way I conceptualize it is to help people learn a little bit more about what I want them to know. And, um, and that way, I can, I am not as much as a failure as I would be if I thought, oh, I'm, I'm only going to be successful if every beaver is protected. Um, I have to control the language I use inside, even inside my head, which is how do I construct, um, a view of success that I can tolerate, um, when I don't get exactly what I want. And, uh, I guess an interesting note, and this is more of a professional question now outside of the realm of what we've been talking about, is the concept of therapy. Um, I know a lot of people who hate the idea for whatever reason, um, and everybody has a bias about this kind of stuff. Um, I personally have found it to be very, very helpful in some circumstances, uh, while in others it was a complete waste of my time. Yeah. Um, so... How do we address people and say, you know, there are all of these self-care things we can be doing and we can be there for each other, but there are times when we may need that extra professional help, someone who is able to get under the issues. How do we sort of address that and bring it forward as something people should really consider as a tool? Well, I I think that's a great question, and I think one of the ways – we can understand uh, when therapy might be helpful is when we're not able to apply or use those breaks, either on our compassion or on our anger, where we're not able to, um, to titrate our response in order to fit the demand of the situation. And, and because we're not able to do that, because we're not able to adjust, the power of our water hose or whatever it is we're using, then we actually are not effective. And um, when we find that our emotional stuff is getting in the way of the goals we have, then that's when therapy is supposed to be useful. I mean, that's what I think of as a way to kind of get to the door. To, to kind of start the process of thinking whether there's a way you can um, work with that emotional baggage in that will allow you to become more of the person you want to be, more effective. And as someone um, who is, I, I'm very open. I have generalized anxiety disorder. I've had it my whole life, obviously, and it, it 
really struggled with it for a long time. And uh, as a journalist, I wrote about it and uh, got it was at the point where I was frustrated with the media saying we have to talk about mental health. And then <laughs> that was it. So I talked about it um, and received uh, a surprising amount of feedback, actually, mm-hmm. um, uh, from a lot of very prominent people in the in the community. Um, is that something that the animal advocacy community needs to be more open about, more aware of, and more uh, simply just focusing on more? Is our personal mental health, be it a disorder, disease, or simply just, as we've discussed, self-care, anger, and compassion? Yeah. Well, um, I, I think it's really important to be able to talk about what's going on with you, no matter what the what the technical term is and to be able to be recognized and to realize that everybody has struggles they need to wrestle with. And I think that's good for the community. I think it's really good for, um, for humans in general. Uh, But I also think, um, you know, that I would say there's probably a limit to how useful it is to us in a larger sense in terms of like, I, I just don't want the hunting community to think that all the animal saving people are mental health issues. I really want for um, us to be able to uh, to benefit from our understanding of our own issues so that we can be more effective in the larger population. All right. And I don't know if you can answer this or not, but I'm going to ask anyway, because I'm just kind of a jerk like that. Um, (laughs) Is there any kind of mental health statistic or observation when it comes to sort of the the one side of animal advocacy, the the other side of trapping hunting, and then that sort of general middle ground? Is is there any kind of correlation between um, mental health or self-awareness or anything like that? That's a really interesting question. So are you asking me that if if people who are more aware of the humanity of trap of trapping issues are more human in general? What are you what are you asking me? Well, but not more human, but is there any kind of statistical uh, correlation between self-awareness, uh which I would include to be topics such as compassion, awareness about yeah. mental health issues, um, introspection, uh, and sort of that global understanding that there are these things out there, uh, then people who are involved in trapping, hunting, and those global issues. <clears throat> and then, of course, the third leg of that would be the people who are just kind of blissfully continuing on in life without awareness. Yeah, just oblivious. Well, um, I... I, I mean, I understand the question. I really do. And I, I have a instinctive answer, but I don't, I don't want to say the instinctive answer because I, I ultimately think that I have to think and I have met there are in the world responsible trappers. Not that it's a good idea to trap, but there are in the world people that I meet that trap that have a long term ability to process information that are not cruel, that really care about animal issues and that are knowledgeable. Not, not that there are handfuls of them, but there are a few. And so I, I don't, 
when I look at, say, a book like Three Against the Wilderness, which is a story of, you know, I think it's probably better known in Canada than it is in America, but it's a story of reintroducing beavers into the Canadian wilderness at the turn of the century. I've that got a author, first edition copy of it on yeah. my bookshelf right now. Yeah, well, it's a fantastic book. And he actually was a trapper. He actually yep. did the reintroduction of beavers because he wanted to see what would happen. And he reap the benefits of that. And I look at that book and I look at people that I've personally met and I realize that in order to do good for the earth, there isn't one way to think. And there really are good people who think differently than me. Um, there, but, and there are really, um, let me also say there are really crazy people who think the same as me, but I also <laughs> realize that this is, um, this is, you know, we're, we're moving towards a goal and it's better for us to make allies with people that disagree with us in some ways, but agree with us in the larger sense. And I, I just think, um, I, I learned in Martinez that the, I don't, there weren't enough beaver friends for me to pick and choose between the ones that completely agreed with me and the ones that agreed with me 10%. I had to take them all because that was the only way we would achieve our goal. And how do you feel after, I mean, you've discussed the, the personal difficulty you had with that entire debate. And I, I've read your website and read the <laughs> background on it. And you, you did have a personal struggle. Um, yeah. And now... In California, in Martinez, where there are droughts and there are all of these other uh, environmental issues happening, and people are saying, holy crap, we need beavers. After yeah. everything that you went through personally, professionally, and as an advocate, to now be seeing that kind of attitude come forward, is it is it a sense of vindication, of relief, of pride? I mean, what's I, this to me, it's a perfect kind of microcosm of of a victory that you may not have expected, but you ended up getting. Right. Well, I mean, I, I appreciate you saying that and I certainly take joy in it, but I also realize, I, I realize what happened in that story with John Muir and Teddy Roosevelt at the night where he said, Oh, by the way, you should, you know, you shouldn't be tra trapping anymore or hunting anymore because no matter how far of a goal you've achieved, I can really see that it could go farther and I, it's still frustrating to me that, um, you know, for, for example, in California, it's still real illegal to relocate beavers, even though there are, you know, 10 states, um, where it is legal and where they use them to reintroduce water. Um, so, so there are things that we aren't able to do. I am proud of what we have done so far, but I, I can see that we need to do this for 20 more years before we get where we need to be. And my last question, because there's always a last question, <laughs> what do you want to tell people? As, a, as a, a professional psychologist, you work with families and children and adults. You have struggled as an advocate and had, uh, in my opinion, a fair bit of success. Um, and as, as an individual, as someone who cares, What's the one thing you want people to walk away after listening to this to know or feel or think about? Well, I, I want people to realize that the fact that they care 
is really valuable. Um, it's really valuable and it's like a, a, it's like gold. It's really irreplaceable. And, but it is easily depleted by the, the fact that they, they, by caring too much or by, by not being able to slow yourself down in some ways. Um, you know, this really is a long-term goal. You're working as much as you could tolerate. You really have to be able to say, I can't do any more today or I can't do any more with this person or whatever the way of limiting it is that you can um, do as much as possible to maintain your friendly presence in the world because as as many things as will come along to make you angry, the, none of that anger will help you move forward. Nobody, nobody gets allies from being angry, really. What they get allies from is um, from being benevolently interested and willing to cooperate. And that doesn't mean you have to give up the things you care about. It just means that you might have to um, bend a little bit of your goals in order to achieve the larger goal. And, and that's, and I'm not kidding when I say I know that's difficult. It's really difficult. To learn more about Heidi's work, visit the Worth a Damn website at martinasbeavers.org. On the blog for this week's podcast, we've also posted useful links to some crisis intervention groups. Please never forget that you are not alone in this fight, and remember that there are always people ready and willing to help you through the hard times. That's the show for this week. I'd like to thank Brad Gates of Gates AAA Wildlife Control for his ongoing support of Defender Radio, and all our listeners for sharing these podcasts. Until next time, this is Michael Howie reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.